Welcome, everybody. It is Wednesday night, and this is The Blitz with your host, Chris Westfall, alongside Neil Waldeck and Kelly Gamble in Studio B. And guess who's in the house this week? Aaron Host. Oh, yeah, I am here. You are here. Well, both of them were absent last week. I had a legitimate excuse. My Kelly's was having his tonsils and adenoids taken out. We're, we're, we're letting Kelly off. Yeah, we'll let but, him have it off. But we figured Aaron wasn't going to show up last week, and I, I'm honestly surprised he showed up after this week. Hey, I'm just protecting from last now. <laughs> Sorry, right, Aaron. You're still ahead of me, buddy. My goodness. I'm always going to be high on myself no matter where I'm at, but I, I'm willing to... Take my losses and tuck my tail between my legs and get back to the doghouse. If our listeners knew the amount of trash talking that we took... It's not over with yet. ...while Aaron Host was in the lead of our little competition, what did he have? Like a four- or five-week lead? He did. And the amount of trash talk that was going on around this radio station, you think this dude was about to win the Super Bowl. And then, and then we thought he was taking off, you know, to get inside information on some of these teams. What? And then he, and then he starts to slide. They stopped I think the more it. he missed the shows, he started to slide. Did you notice that? I think it's what we saw in the Mountaineer basketball team. They're young and inexperienced, and so it's the inexperience <laughs> finally showed up. <laughs> the inexperience. with you, Aaron. We love you. He doesn't have much to say. He is a much quieter Aaron host. I'm lost for words right now. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, I I could go back and get the official statistics. I, I could. This is like a stat show. Sometimes I could go back and get the statistics of your your downhill slide towards the end of the season over the last three weeks. I think Aaron lost like ten games or something like that. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think it was something like that. Yeah. Yes. This past week, Aaron goes seven and three. Kelly, congratulations. Me and you tied last week, and now, now Kelly. Now let's let's jab at Kelly a little now bit. Go here. ahead, I'm still way behind, Chris. Uh, Eleven games is a lot to make up over bowl season. Sure is. It's possible, but uh, you know, I, right now I'm just focused on the one ahead of me, and that would be uh, Mr. Host. <laughs> that's that's your only goal. It's just catching Mr. Well, Host. Well, that, right now, you got to set it somewhere. All right. All, right. All right, you are officially. Let's see here. Seven games behind Aaron Host. Yep, it's not happening, Kelly. Sorry. We've got a heck of a fight for last place going on. Neil Waldeck, I'd like to congratulate you making the move overtop of Aaron in the last couple weeks. You chased him down. I did. And you overtook him this past week. Neil goes 8-2 and two during championship week and heads into bowl season with a one-game lead over Aaron, a eight-game lead over Kelly, and you are officially three games behind me in first. Three games separate myself and Neil Waldeck. Make sure you tune in next week as we will start to pick our bowl games. Uh, And, guys, anything can happen during bowl week. I I am not going to get cocky. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot of trash. It is head down and focused on bowl season. Okay? 
I agree. So th- this is all the bragging I'm going to do at this point. And what point. makes it so tough when you're doing those bold picks, uh, Chris, and we talked about this before, you don't know who's playing, who's coaching. There's been you know, coaches' moves and yep. different things. It's it's very difficult. Here's what makes bowl season, you know, some teams, like let's take, for example, a team like Florida Atlantic. Lane Kiffin takes the job at Mississippi. He is not going to coach in their bowl game. But yet, those kids, I think, want to prove, hey, uh, we're still the players. We can still win this game. So you've got that. I I still think they want to be there, a team like that. And and then you take a team maybe like Alabama, who um, uh, might not be that happy, even though their legendary coach is still there. Nothing bad happened to them. But hey. Do they really want to be playing Michigan in the Citrus Bowl? What about the Memphis coach? Is he going to coach the bowl game? They no. actually took the job no, at Florida State. No, he is so not. Okay. So there, there's another team, maybe like a Florida Atlantic. We'll, we'll get into a lot of bowl stuff over the next few weeks. Guys, what I want to do in this first segment, um, Mountaineer Basketball. Let's talk a little bit about that. I know a lot of people uh, frustrated, I think, a little bit after last week's game against St. John's up there at Madison Square Garden, West Virginia, um, comes out a two-point loser on uh, and ending their undefeated streak Saturday afternoon in New York. Neil, you said you watched the game. Your thoughts? I, I heard a lot of complaining about officiating. I did not get to watch it, but I heard a lot of complaining about officiating. Well, you know, as I watched the game, and, you know, you could call a lot of the, the – there were some bad calls, uh, especially the one that I saw was at the end of the game. Uh, the the, the uh, Foul on Culver. Uh, yeah, the foul on Culver. The guy was driving to the basket. He slipped and fell. And, you you know, referees are going to make that call. But that – uh, that does, certainly doesn't define that game, in my opinion. The, the the definition of that game was you had 20-some turnovers in this contest, and then you shoot horribly from the foul, foul line. And I think, Chris, I told you one of my keys were was that the foul shots they had to improve last week on the show. I told you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you shoot probably 50 or below that at the foul line against St. John. So that catches up with you. The other point that I am still worried about is the guard play of these uh, guards. I see that, you know, McCabe is still not as strong as I would want him to be coming in his second season. Uh, McCabe, he's still raw at times. You can see it. McNeil showed up and played a pretty decent game, but defensively you have to question him. And um, Napper uh, wasn't uh, too bad. Uh, he had some key moments as well. But I'm, uh, the point guard is where I'm worried about. We don't have a point guard who can take over that offense and run it the way it's supposed to be. They they seem to me to you can see the inexperience of those point guards. And then you also have Shibway and Culver who are still trying to coexist in the paint area and that is becoming troublesome as well. And I think it caught up with them against the St. John's Red Storm team. They took advantage of it and ended up winning the game. And if they get these all fixed, they could be a very competitive team down the stretch. Kelly, uh, you weren't here for last week's, our, our first week of talking Mountaineer uh, basketball. I know you're 
huge basketball fan. I think I've watched every game most of the yeah, time. Yeah, I'd almost say you get more into the basketball into things than the football in sometimes. I mean, I enjoy football too, but probably basketball is probably my Carl. main uh, sport. What is, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, you know, Neil got to talk last week about an undefeated team. Now I'm asking you to talk about a team a week later that is now with a one loss um, where they did not look very good. Your thoughts uh, moving forward for this well, Mountaineer basketball team? With Aaron, when I talked about inexperience, it's truly what we still have, and it's an in- inexperienced team that has raw athleticism. They they are a better team than last year, but they still don't have all the pieces coming together and. Neil elaborated on foul shooting. Many of those was one-on-ones. That means, you know, when you get a bonus shot, you got to make that first one to get the second. And many of our shots that we missed from the foul line was one-on-one opportunities. So they're going to have to to hit their foul shots. But I agree with everything Neil said. Uh, when you got two guys at six foot nine, six ten, two sixty, trying to coexist in the paint, uh, they're going to have to find that cohesiveness together because they are very, very talented. Uh, um, Culver had twelve points and eighteen rebounds. And Sheebway seems to be every other game he shows up and then he gets in foul trouble. He's going to have to learn to keep himself out of foul trouble. The officiating, I agree with Neil, is not going to define the game because 22 turnovers is just way too many. Um, And so we saw a little bit of last year. But I just watched last night Maryland get defeated by a Penn State team who lost by 30 to Ohio State. Louisville losing to Texas Tech without their leading scorer, lost three in a row. College basketball and parity is definitely on the rise more than ever since I've been a young kid. And I've been watching basketball since probably 1979 when I was a big Larry Bird fan when they played Michigan State and Magic Johnson in the 1979 title game. And I've never seen more parity in my life than what I've seen from this season. Kelly, I love when when you start throwing out names. When did I ever think we would get a Larry Bird reference on the Blitz? Blitz. Yeah, I, I was. A, I did hey, a man. big report on Larry Bird when I was a kid. <laughs> so I love when Kelly starts name dropping because <laughs> you never know whose name is going to pop out of that mouth of his over there. Larry Bird. I think it's the first time he's been re- referenced on the show. Good job, Kelly. Aaron Host going to turn to you. Your thoughts about this? You again? You weren't here in our first week of talk about Mountaineer basketball. What you've seen so far out of this Mountaineer team, and what you expect of them moving forward. I feel they got like a Jekyll and Hyde feeling towards them. They can go lights out one night shooting the ball. Seems like they can't miss. And the next night, it's they're having troubles even getting the free throws to fall. The Mountaineers' defense is inconsistent, but then all of a sudden they're playing one heck of a defensive game and they're holding teams under 60 points. It's I think this team's got a halftime. they got to gel together. And you heard it in one of the interviews earlier in the year when they won. They said they're a little bit slow starting right now, but I figure once they start to get, getting into higher competition and play when they get into the Big 12 and playing the SEC team, I think you'll see the true Mountaineer team this year. Definitely better than last year's team. But the kind of caveat of what Neil said is they are definitely missing a true point guard. In Mountaineer basketball team's history past, no matter how mediocre the team was, they had somewhat of a higher caliber point guard, whether that was Jawan Staten, Javon Carter, Truck Bryant, you name it. They had a guy who could lead that team out on the court and somewhat lead the team back on defense. Right now it's point guard by committee, it feels, because Jordan McCabe is inconsistent at best, and you really don't got anybody else stepping up right now for that leadership role. Kelly, let me ask you this. Um, we, we see the Big 12 SEC challenge every year. This week we got a little bit of the Big 12, Big East. Uh, your thoughts on this new Big East 
um, conference. Not the same as what it was back when you had everybody in it, but still some good basketball there. St. John's is not a bad basketball team. No, not at all. They're they're a very good basketball team. They're very athletic and very quick. Uh, they're not a great shooting team, but uh, they didn't need to be whenever they forced 22 turnovers with their speed. Yeah, And a lot of it was double teams. That's what Neil and I was just talking about. Our point guards are getting double teamed. And a lot of times they're getting the ball to the sideline, and and right after half court they're getting double teamed, and a lot of, and Culver at the end of that game too, Culver had uh, had the ball, had a rebound, the Mountaineers had a chance to actually have the last shot of the game. He gets the ball slapped away from him, and uh, there wasn't a foul there. It was just we we got to be more aware, and so uh, I agree with uh, Aaron as well. The point guard and, and Neil, we have to have a point guard that's going to come in and be consistent and steady, and we have three of them, and I think that's one of the reasons that they're having a hard time. But to answer your question about the Big East. Uh, every team right now, even in the Big East, is is capable. I mean, there I don't see a lot of difference. Like I said, parity is the thing right now. There's on any given night. I mean, we've seen uh, a team like Stephen F. Austin again defeat Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there, even these mid majors, the yeah. mid majors, Chris, right and, now is is caught up. And I don't think people realize it is a lot easier for a basketball team to pull an upset over a football team. Uh, to get I, I agree to, to get five or six or seven guys to match up against another five or six or seven is a lot different when you're talking about needing uh, 40, 50 football players during a game. Uh, the basketball upsets. So I think it's easier to get that parity in, in basketball, even more so than than the college football level. Guys, West Virginia will have two more games before we talk again next week, beginning tomorrow night as West Virginia will host Austin Pay at the Coliseum. Tip-off is scheduled for 7 p.m. Our airtime here on Preston County's Mountaineer Station will begin at 6 o'clock. Then on Saturday, West Virginia will host Nichols at 2 p.m. with our airtime beginning at at 1 o'clock. And don't forget, anytime the Mountaineers score more than 90 points this season, the day after, you can go to Scoops and Joy here in Kingwood and score 50% off a double scoop of ice cream by just going in and tell them you heard the Mountaineers score 90 points on 96.7 K-Country. Stay tuned. More to come on the show. Talk a little football recruiting and so much more. Also... Don't forget we are simulcast on the Sports Roundtable podcast. This is the Blitz. Stay tuned. I want to introduce you to my kids, to my old friends, to the house and the pines. You're listening to the Blitz on 96.7 K-Country and simulcast on the Sports Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Chris Westfall, alongside Neil Waldeck, Kelly Gamble, and Aaron Host. Thanks for listening this evening, everybody, as we continue to dive into Mountaineer sports. Just when you think football season is all done, no bowl game for the Mountaineers this year. We've all talked about that. Guys, we we are only one week away from today from the first national signing day. Uh, West Virginia right now currently setting at 15 Verbal commitments, not going to get into a lot of them this evening. But what I wanted to get into, guys, uh, we, we, we got the big news um, a month ago. Four-star running back from New York 
LeMay Constant was going to be joining the Mountaineers. And then this week on LeMay Constant's Twitter account, he posts, Thank you for the love. Unfortunately, there was a miscommunication and a misunderstanding on both my part and the coaches. I thank them for their interest and the West Virginia fans for their love as he decommits from West Virginia. And almost automatically, I think, wow, that, that's a big blow. Um, why is this kid uh, just very suddenly? He was only verbally committed for a month. Why is he all of a sudden leaving the program? Uh, Neil Brown was high on this kid and in his front door very early on. Uh, along with Travis Trickett, the lead recruiter. And they spent tons of time with this kid. Tons of time. Big schools after him. Michigan State, LSU, Texas A&M. Um, and you're just wondering, wow, this is a big hit. But now, actually getting a little bit of news, guys, that this might have been more of us wanting to part ways than the player. Uh, it looks like his statistics for the year were down quite a bit in his senior year of high school. So uh, it's now getting reported that West Virginia was more the one saying, hey, we, we want to step away from this. Looks like they've got their eyes set on a junior college running back out of one of the Mississippi junior colleges, so we can report that now. So if everybody was saying, oh my goodness, we lost our biggest recruit, he had actually he actually started out this year as a four star. He has been de elevated to a three star recruit now. Guys, my knee jerk reaction, knee jerk, when Neil came into the radio station just the other day, I said, Well, New York, we just saw Greg Shiano, man. Greg Shiano just burn us. Cause I, I thought for sure. But maybe maybe this was more of us saying Hey, we, we need to look at different options. Guys, knew, any thoughts? We knew Neil Brown is a numbers guy. Yeah. And he does take a we, – we saw that in one of the games where he, he elected not to kick a field goal. It's all He's yeah. all numbers. Yeah. So maybe that, that is the issue here. One of the things that has been said about Neil Brown um, throughout the hiring process, throughout uh, everything that's been talked about Neil Brown, uh, one of the things he did very well at Troy was find that two- or three-star player that necessarily wasn't looked at as the best, but everybody says he's a great judge of character, and he knows what's going to fit the program. So maybe that was the issue with this player. And, you know, last time we landed a big four-star running back out of New York, it didn't work out real well. Jason, Jason Mm. So... You know, when that, that announcement was made, I had a conversation with somebody, and they that, that's all that came out of their mouth was, you remember Jason Gwaltney? This guy's going to be a bust. Well, maybe maybe he would have been. Kelly, your thoughts? I think that you're exactly right. I think that it's probably more so uh, maybe uh, the character uh, of the kid, and I think that that's what Neil Brown's all about is, is finding cohesiveness and unity and somebody that's going to be a, a team player, and I think maybe that's, the issue, maybe so. I, I I don't really know, but either way, there's so many talented athletes out there right now that uh, you know we got Petaway coming back. Uh, that redshirted is he going to come back or is he yeah. going to enter into the portal? I think he's coming back. And so you got Letty Brown, 
and you also have the kid that was a freshman that we got to see a little bit of Mathis. Uh, this year. So we got plenty of backs again, but I don't think it's always going to be the backs because we, we sh- showed that uh, McCoy had uh, a good sophomore, junior season, and, and as a senior, you got to have an offensive line before no matter who you have in that running back position. So my main concern is still the offensive line over the running backs. I think that a, a running back, any of the kids that we have right now is going to be fine if we have a line to run behind. Uh, earlier in the week, also giving verbal commitment, the number two prospect in the state of West Virginia, Sean Martin from Bluefield, has verbally committed to the Mountaineers. We'll see if the papers come through on him next Wednesday. And Aaron Host pointed out to me right before we took the air, another cornerback giving his verbal just today. Daryl Porter Jr. Daryl Porter Jr. from American Heritage High School, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, three-star cornerback, verbally committing today. I know he was in a very large group of recruits that were in Morgantown uh, this past weekend on their official visits. Um, Taurus, Matt, uh, Taurus Simmons from Savannah, Georgia, defensive end out of Savannah, Georgia, uh, has already sent through his signing papers, even though it's still early in the game. So he is all sewn up. It'll be a very interesting show next week. We'll we'll get to break down. You know, I hate to call this the first recruiting class for Neil Brown because here here's the thing, guys. He's still behind on this 2020 class. I, I still think this is not going to be a full recruiting class from him so if people judge him just because the numbers might be a little low in this recruiting class i don't think we should look at this one too much we should definitely look at what he does in 2021 because let's face it he got in here late he has not had a full year cycle of recruiting but you know looking down the list it's it's not bad it's not bad, and we'll see if anything else happens between now and Wednesday. And then, of course, you've got a bigger gap between Wednesday and the next signing period before everything has to be finalized. I think something else, Big Chris, is uh, you know Darius Steels. For those that yeah. don't know, uh, he's staying, and um, I think it's a smart move on his part. And I think that's going to be a big part of the Mountaineer defense next year to have him as a leader. And so it's uh, good to know that he's staying for the senior season. Bo Steele's brother's back is huge, huge for that defensive line. And uh, you're going to get some defensive line help. Uh, you've got um, uh, a junior college kid, Kay Mays, has signed out of Northwest Mississippi Community College. So he'll be ready probably almost immediately for playing time as long as we get that signed sealed and delivered by next Wednesday. Neil, any more recruiting thoughts? No. Now, I know that uh, they said uh, George Campbell should come back. Yeah, that's something we have not pointed out. George Campbell, the the terrific wide receiver transfer from Florida State, is applying for a medical um, red shirt, which would give him a sixth year of eligibility. And, And he'll probably get it knowing his story. He's been injured several times over the course of his college years, so that would be huge. So you got some weapons uh, at the wideouts uh, all coming back for next season, uh, so that that should be a great help to the offense uh, with with George Campbell coming back, Simmons coming back, 
Um, Jennings, uh, the the freshman, will be a sophomore, and then James. Uh, James, yes. Uh, so so you got a lot of weapons. Really, if if you get George Campbell back, you, you don't lose any of those receivers. No. None, zero zilch. Plus, what you're going to add in this recruiting class? Um, offensive line still a big question, yeah, of course. Uh, you're looking at the number one recruit in the state of West Virginia from Fairmont Senior, Zach Frazier. Verbally committed to West Virginia. He's an offensive lineman. You've got Chris Mayo, a three-star kid out of New Jersey that is verbally committed. He is an offensive lineman. Then you get a junior college guy in Jacob Campbell out of Iowa Western Community College, another offensive lineman. Three new offensive linemen, one that could play probably immediately uh, in this signing class, plus if anything else gets added. Any more tidbits on recruiting you want to talk about, Aaron Host? Well, I'm just excited for football already next season. I mean, you're no, you're, getting, you're getting me hyped up just hearing all these recruits that are coming. <laughs> I'm getting warm and fuzzies already for next year, and it's 20 degrees outside. So I'm really excited to see the Mountaineers next year. All these, especially the offensive linemen, I think that's going to be a key to our success. If we have a good, strong offensive line, the running game will come, and so will the passing yards will pick up. Our defense will be more stout and definitely a bowl season next year. Definitely a bowl season. I, no doubt in my mind. I, I looked at an early prediction off of one of my oh, favorite sports websites. It says the way too early sports predictions <laughs> way, for next year. Way too early. Mountaineers are predicted, predicted to have eight wins next year. Eight. Eight wins. If I had to give a, a flat, just well, let's let's go ahead early, and do it. If we're all going to do it, super early prediction for next year. Super super early. Who wants to go first? Kelly, you, you said you wanted to do it. Go first. We might as well. All right, we might as well. I agree. Seven and five. Seven. Yeah, are you going to go with eight? I'm going to go with eight. You're going to go with eight next year. Neil Waldeck. I would be around seven. Wow. I'm going to go six right now, leaning more towards five. By the <laughs> way, I was the only one that predicted the exact record preseason. You were. Congratulations. Uh, I five and seven with that TCU win. I wasn't here last week. Five and seven hey, was on hey, the and I thought I was going to get four and eight, but hey, too. congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah, way, way, way too early prediction. If I had to make a guess right now, I would be at six, leaning to five. I, I But it's too early. We're, we're, yeah. That's everybody's early, early, early thoughts. Let's talk about first week of the season. Uh, we will be going to the Chick-fil-A kickoff game next year since Aaron's already excited about football for next Man. year. Chick-fil-A kickoff game against Florida State, who will have a new coach. We know who that coach is now. He is Mike Norvell, uh, has led the Memphis Tigers to three unbelievable seasons, leads them to a New Year's Six game. Guys, it's just hard for me to think that he is not going to coach that bowl game. He was runner-up in that conference behind Central Florida for two years, and he finally breaks through this year. And that, That's how college football works, though, isn't it? I want to say something to that. Okay, you say that. I, I hate – that's one thing I cannot stand about I, college I football. Once fo- until football season's over with, you should not be able to talk. If that team's still got another but, game, but that guy should have to coach. It's almost like Dana. 
I mean, Dana was talking to other teams last year. You knew he was out the door in December before the bowl game even happened. The rumors have it now. So it should be almost devoid of his contract. Any guaranteed money that he has is wiped clean. But here's the thing. Even now, and that's the problem with this early signing day. Everybody wanted their early signing day so we can get these recruits locked up. But here's the thing. If you're a high school kid, and your team don't have a coach? Are you going to sign there? No, no. But that, but that's the, but that's also the the school's fault for firing the coach that that in the middle of the season. But you still I mean, want to have I mean, that coaching vacancy. Life is unfair. Life is unfair. You're going to have to make a decision based <laughs> off of that. I think you're. I think. I think Memphis should almost uh, just get rid of his name out of all their history books. When he he's the like one. That. He's the one that built the program. But he's the one that left the program right before one of their biggest They'll moments. Be They'll I guess be the fine. The reason I, what I would say is uh, basically recruiting is already intact. So when you get a name and you get it out there quickly, the other players are going to want to know who is your head coach. So the quicker you know, the better your program is. And uh, and he wants to – and the reason he's not coaching this bowl game, he's got to get a head start on recruiting for exactly. next that's, year. That's the whole point. I he mean, has kids to. kids want to know who is your head coach. So That's what we just said about Neil Brown. Because Neil Brown was high – because Dana left so late after New Year's last year. Took two weeks. You just lost a month of recruiting. Yep. A month, and in today's college football landscape, if you lose a month of recruiting, it hurts. Big time. So we do know Mike Norvell, the new head coach, Florida State, they will be our first opponents next year, Labor Day weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. we got to take a break. When we come back, we're talking the college football playoff, everybody. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Blitz on 96.7 K-Country, simulcast on the Sports Roundtable podcast. As we roll into segment three of the Blitz. Oh, yeah, Neil. It's a Neil Waldeck song of the week. I like this one. like this one a lot. You like that song, do I you? do. <laughs> you know how to pick them sometimes. The Neil Waldeck song of the week. Neil, why have you chosen Bon Jovi Blaze of Glory? Because the Mountaineer men's basketball team, they were riding high. 7-0, and you know, everybody's thinking, oh, this is going to be the team we go undefeated in non-conference, <laughs> and boom, they get shot down the blaze of glory, so, no. that's why I picked it. Let's Good, ju- bad, what? Let, let's just give this song time to breathe, man, let's, I'm just enjoying the song. <laughs> you just like the song. Oh, man, it's good. I'm going to take it right up to that point. The best part of the song, here it comes, it's coming soon, all right there. Jamming away in the studio. <laughs> bon Jovi. You gotta love these um, quiet weeks in sports. That's right. We, we can talk more about Bon Jovi. Yes. Bon Jovi from New Jersey, by the way. He's we, a Shiano fan. He, he might be a Greg Shiano fan. He might have been one of those guys politicking to get Greg Shiano back. He could have. Didn't they also sing Living on a Prayer? Yes, and they play that at Rutgers games all the time. (laughs) Good job, Kelly. He is quick on his feet throwing out Larry Bird's name. And now now we know now we know 
he's listening to the songs that are played in New Jersey during Rutgers football games. Man. He lives in the 80s. I do. Hey, I tell you what, I'm so excited for Greg Schiano. I really am. I think he'll turn that program around. Hey, everybody's calling me crazy. I'm telling you, five years and Rutgers will compete for a Big Ten title. It can't be any worse. <laughs> it yeah, really can't. Up, it really can't. Um, college football playoff, guys. Let, let's get into this. Let's dive in. Um, number one, LSU. Did LSU deserve to jump over top of Ohio State after the conference championships were all said and done? Go to Kelly Gamble first. Yes, I think the SEC is still stronger overall than the Big Ten, but uh, I think I mean it's close. I think that Ohio State did have a good schedule. I think the Big Ten was better this year than in years past, so I think it was tight. But yes, I think LSU deserves to be the number one seat. Uh, LSU beats one more top ten team or top fifteen team than Ohio State does. Uh, to me, that's deserving of the number one spot. Ohio State comes in at two. They're the only two undefeated teams. So I don't think anybody's going to argue over those teams being one and two. Clemson, man, they made a statement in the ACC championship game, putting 63 on Virginia. Neil, any problems with Clemson being in one loss team, the only one loss, other one loss team in Power Five? Um, I'm sorry. They're they're undefeated, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so yeah, they're Oklahoma undefeated. Has the one loss. Yeah. Okay. So Clemson's undefeated. So so no arguments there, right? No arguments. Even though than, I mean, even though the ACC's down. Yeah, because I mean, if you're going to go by strength of schedule, all that kind of thing, then you place the teams in the right spots, in my opinion. Now we come to the game with a little bit of controversy. The team with a little bit of controversy. Oklahoma jumps over. Georgia. Georgia loses in the SEC championship game to give them two loss. Aaron Host, two loss Georgia, one loss Oklahoma. Are you okay with Oklahoma from the Big 12 being in that fourth spot? I am actually okay with that. I mean, Georgia lost and they lost when it, if they would have won that, then obviously they would have been in and LSU would have been out. But with Oklahoma winning the Big 12 title game, I think that definitively put them in. Even though they did lose to K-State, their offense has just been absolutely phenomenal the whole year. Georgia, I think, just didn't have the pedigree that Oklahoma had coming into this year. And I feel Oklahoma is a lot more deserving. Guys, Alabama is nowhere to be found. Alabama doesn't even get a New Year's Six bowl game. Are are we in agreement that Alabama was the fourth best team in the SEC this year? Ahead of them, LSU, uh, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, fifth best team in the SEC. Florida gets the New Year's Six Bowl game. Neil Waldeck, do you think it should have been Alabama instead of Florida in the Sugar Bowl? I think uh, Alabama got what they deserved. I, I okay. think that they had the opportunity. Okay. And then again, I think it comes down to, you know, uh, who's playing for you. You lost your quarterback. You know, a lot of those play factors. Here's the why Alabama falls so far. 
Florida, three, three losses. All the top 10 teams, okay, um, at the time of their loss. Florida got beat. Florida beat Auburn. Who beat Alabama? Auburn. Auburn. Pretty cut and dry. I, I think they right. got it right. I, I think Alabama, the fifth best team in the SEC. Hard to believe. It, it truthfully is. Guys, and if we can remember all the way back to our preseason show, told you, Alabama would not be in the playoff this year. It was the year of LSU. I got LSU right. I got Clemson right. Those are my two that I got right. Neil had Clemson and... I know I had Michigan and Alabama in there, and they're both not in there. And I don't... I had Clemson... And and Oregon. And Oregon. Yeah, so you only got one in. Kelly had Clemson. I think the rest of you just got one in. So I can brag about that this week. Thanks, Aaron, for pointing that out to me. Hey, I got to make you feel good sometime. Thanks. Hey, Chris, now, we, we was discussing... If if Georgia would have played a closer game with LSU mm-hmm. in that championship in the SEC championship, then would have the uh, board I, thought differently? Uh, I think so. You think so too? Okay. I, I think so. I think Georgia, Oklahoma, and, and guys, I, I'm going to go into a whole spiel here in a second. If you put Georgia and Oklahoma on the neutral field, I think Georgia wins. Yeah, I agree. I do. So that that spot is weird. Guys, each year I complain all year long leading up to the playoffs and when the playoffs get here, I complain that it's just and this year's kind of easy. The the four or five top teams pretty cut and dry. Pretty cut and dry, but we still got a problem. The small conferences don't get a chance to play in it and they probably never will in a four team playoff. Uh, it, it, some years we have had conference champions not make it in over non-conference champions. So, guys, what do we need? What do we need? Chris says we need an eight-team playoff, and I've been preaching this uh, since the playoff started. Guys, I will submit to you Appendix A of my argument. Appendix A. I, I've actually put this up on change.org. Kelly's getting his glasses on to look at. I'm going to read it to you. We're going to submit this to the the playoff committee and tell them this is how it should be. An 18 playoff, guys, I think all five conference champions out of the group five should get in. So this year it'll be LSU. They're in. You get Georgia. No, I'm sorry. You get Oklahoma. They're in. Ohio State's in. Clemson's in. Oregon would be your other conference champion that would get in. The highest ranked group of five school that wins a conference champion would get into my eight-team playoff. That would be Memphis. Okay. Then there are two at-large bids saved for the highest ranked team that didn't get in as a conference champion. This year, that would be Georgia and Baylor. We would seed these teams by the playoff committee's ranking, and this is the games you would get. And guys, I've even got this answered for you. Well, they're going to say, but then we don't have the bowl games. The bowl games got to be in there. Yes, the bowl games are there. They're your New Year's Six games. So let's start in the Sugar Bowl. You get the 1-8 matchup, LSU versus Memphis. In the Fiesta Bowl, you get Oklahoma versus Georgia. That's interesting because they're the two teams we're arguing about here, right? 
We get Clemson and Oregon, the three and six seed in the Orange Bowl, and we get the Rose Bowl game, the second seed Ohio State versus Baylor. You play those uh, the week before Christmas or the week after, however the month falls, and then you play the semifinals the Saturday before New Year's Eve. Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, get those two games. Now, Florida's going to argue because they didn't get in. Um, there's a couple other teams, but guys, this is the fairest way to do it. It is, and these teams are the same teams playing in those New Year's Six. Let me ask you this, though. Do we really need an eight-team playoff? Because of the games I just read to you, I've done some research. The games that I just read to you, out of those games, there would only be one game where the favorite wouldn't be a double-digit favorite to win the game. So do we need to expand this playoff knowing the games could be very lopsided? Because let's face it, LSU is going to kill Memphis, right? Oh, yeah. Clemson's going to beat up on old Oregon, aren't they? Baylor, not going to really stand a chance against Ohio State. But the one game that makes a difference, Georgia-Oklahoma. We get to decide that on the field of who should be in. Guys, do you want the eight-game playoff or don't you? Neil Waldeck. I I would like to see that uh, eventually. Uh, whether they go that direction or not, I, you know, we're we're going to have to send your letter to the uh, board of directors. I'll submit it. Submit of the NCAA it. Yeah. and see if they can uh, get your your uh, submit in and change things. But yeah, I do agree. Do you think I should send this copy one. of it? I, I mean, that's pretty sloppy. We should probably clean that up a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, your I, writing is not the best. Yeah, but. we should probably clean it up just a little bit, Kelly. Eighteen playoffs. I, I know I've you're on board. Big, I, I love playoffs when it comes to even to high school football playoffs. Even though there's so much difference from one to sixteen when it comes to the high school playoffs, but the one double A back years ago, and they still do it today. Yeah. Subdivision one, uh, sixteen team playoff. By the way, James Madison, only loss of the year to West Virginia, has won the second round and has a chance to play possibly for the championship in that division this year. Um, I've always loved that 16-team playoff when it comes to, again, used to be one double A, I believe, isn't it? what it's called now, subdivision one. FCS, FCS whatever and, you want to call it, uh, yeah. But anyway, I've always loved it. I have since I was a kid. Um, and I think that the the 18-team playoff would definitely be the way to go. There's more excitement. There's more revenue generated. And college football, it's a win-win. But do you think these games, okay, I already told you, most of these games, the favorite is going to be a double-digit favorite. Does Depends that matter? Years. Depends on the, the year and the season as well. Okay. I mean, this year, that's a possibility. But in years to come, there could be so much parity that, that would be every game would be a great game. Because you look at the semifinals that we've gotten now. The semifinal games, you can probably name one, maybe two games that have been good since we've had the playoff. Aaron Host, with all that in mind, eight game, eight team playoff, or do you want to see it stuck at four? I wouldn't say stuck at four, but I would like it to go to almost like a, in a sense, a five-team playoff. And it sounds weird. The fourth team, the fourth ranked seed would play the fifth seed. Kind of a play-in game, like Right. It, it, I mean, Georgia has You're in favor of what they like always argued about, argued about when it was just two teams. It was the plus-one system where you, the, the first team gets in and the second and third team play. Just I, like, to, I like that. 
I like that. Because once you get past the 6th, 7th, and 8th seeds, they really don't have a dog in the fight to where they deserve to play in the college football playoffs. But Georgia can make an argument saying, hey, we lost to South Carolina in South Carolina, whereas Oklahoma lost to a mediocre Kansas State football team and then just torched the rest of the Big 12. You do a, you do kind of a wild card play in system, kind of that would happen almost within the next couple of weeks, and you give that team that plays the extra game and like a bye week before they play the playoff games. I think you would have a, a little more of a definitive, less arguable college football playoffs. Well, we will see how it advances. I, I'm going to clean this up, guys, and I, I'm going to submit that to the committee. See if we can get anything done. They're not going to listen to me. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back with more on the Blitz. I got cold beer in my cup. A pretty girl hopping out of my truck. Got the cables coming out of the dash. JVL's 12 stack. Conway, Johnny Cash, Merle, Hager, Charlie Daniels, Jim Beam, Black Label, Sip, Sip, Pass, Sad Spot, no one knows, just me and my bros and my special lady friends shaking that ass. We got all the makings of a Saturday night. Got the tall boys talking. And welcome back inside the Blitz. I'm your host, Chris Westfall, alongside Neil Waldeck, Kelly Gamble, and Aaron Host. Guys, this would usually be our pick segment of the show. We do have one game we'll talk about here in a second, but just a reminder to everybody, get your get your pen sharpened, get your noggin of thinking, start reading everything on ESPN.com, Aaron. Oh, I will. Oh, I'm sure you will. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be taking a vacation here in two weeks, but I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll celebrate my victory in the comeback in January. Yeah. Down the comeback. In. We heard about his comeback last year. It's hey, a lot closer. It, it is a lot closer. And also a lot closer. As we enter in um, bowl season, uh, the regular season of our game is officially over. Uh, just run down the standings here. Uh, we picked, let's see here. I, I, I should have did this pre-show, but um, 116 and... We picked 164 games this year, guys. 164 games. That would make me... Let's see here if I can do my math quickly. I'm thinking you hear me typing there. Okay, I picked the game 71% correct rate to be in the lead this year. I was 116 and 48 Neil is three games behind. He picked 113 correctly. Aaron picked 112 correctly. And Kelly, you did break 100. Got to 105. So congratulations on that. I'd hate to see him not break 100. Kelly, what are your plans for a comeback here? Uh, Pick who I think is going to win. And what happens is there's no doubt, and I'm sure that Aaron found himself in the same position last year. Once you get behind, you try to – Hope yeah. you try to hope for an upset, and uh, this week, as you saw, I pretty much went with who oh, last week in the championship week. I picked who I believe was going to win instead of trying to to make up ground through upsets. So the week before that, I lost ground. But how did you hoping. dig yourself into this hole, Kelly? Early in the year, picking teams that uh, <laughs> kind of like I mean, me last I believe year. was going to win. I mean, Chris, I could go back and look at many of those games that could have went either way. Okay. So 
I don't believe that it was like most. Of the well, ones there that I there were a lot of early season From the games. Beginning, Oregon Auburn. You guys all had Auburn. Yeah. I had Oregon. Oregon yeah. had the game one. I mean, that's just one game to think of. But from the beginning... Florida State-Wake Forest, I know, was another one. Florida State led that game the whole time, and Wake Forest kicks a field goal with two seconds left. So you get, you know, it, it's picking. I mean, it's almost, again, like college basketball, not quite as the parody in college football. But you get behind, and then you find yourself scratching, trying to pick an upset here and there, and then you get further behind. So it Has, is what it is, but the bowl season's here, and... Anything can anything happen. Anything can happen. How many games do we have again? Uh, we got forty total, including the national championship. Forty total, so yeah, that's a that's still forty games is a lot of games. It is, and they'll start next Friday. That is December the twentieth. If you are interested, two games on December the twentieth: the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl between Buffalo and Charlotte. Very interesting game. Both teams. Let, let's put it this way: there is one team that will win their first bowl game. Because neither of them has won one. Buffalo been in three bowl games. This is Charlotte's first bowl appearance as they make their way up from the FCS level. Uh, also, next Friday, you got Utah State and Kent State. How about the Kent State Golden Flashes making a bowl game? That don't happen every year. 7.30 in the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. I love the names of these games sometimes. More, you know, last year I can remember we got into the debate. What is a cherry Bundy? We we found out that was a fruit drink. Cherry Bundy Boca Raton Bowl will be an excellent early season game next Saturday, December the twenty first, as SMU ten and two taking on Florida Atlantic at ten and three. Real good game, guys. I don't know if you've had much time to look down your selection sheet. Any games stick out to you? Anything that looks like something you might want to watch, Neil? I mean, I'll watch almost all of them, as many as my wife will let me. Um, <laughs> so well, you know, I mean, I know you're not a big Marshall fan, but I see oh, they got oh goodness, game. that that game's interesting. Uh, interesting to me to watch. Not so much for Marshall. I, I want to see how Central Florida reacts being in the New Year's Six game. The last two seasons, and now they're they're going into the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. I want to see what their energy level is. Sure, you what? know, and then, and then I look at, uh, you know, I kind of laugh here. You know, Miami, who kind of struggled, they get a bowl game, and they're taking on uh, Louisiana Tech. I'm kind of interested to just see how that game. Hey, do you guys know who who coaches? At Louisiana Tech. Who's got this Louisiana Tech program going in the right direction? Two straight bowl games. Skip Holtz. Lou Holtz's son down there at Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Got it going after that bad stay at uh, South Florida. Nobody seems to be able to win at South Florida right now. Uh, (laughs) Other than the playoffs, if I had to take one game that I'm interested in watching, uh, it's Michigan-Alabama. That's another one that, to me, is going to be very interesting. What will be interesting to me about Michigan-Alabama in the Citrus Bowl, how many players will set out for Alabama? Does Jim Harbaugh get the biggest Christmas present of the year by playing a depleted Alabama roster because everybody's setting out for the draft 
and everybody else is just really uninterested. Jim Harbaugh has the chance to say, well, I beat Alabama, so why don't everybody get off my case? That's, That's I, I find that the most in, intriguing other it's than, interesting. Again, your, your playoff four. Yeah, What game are you most excited about in that playoff, Kelly? Uh, right now, it's uh, no doubt it's the, the Clemson and Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two... Clemson will will st- open that game as a two point favorite on Ohio State. Very interesting in one. It's a tough one to pick. Twelve point favorite in the uh, LSU Oklahoma yeah. game goes to LSU. I think it's LSU, but I, I don't know who they're going to be playing yet. And I'm so Clemson yes. and Ohio State. I'm looking forward to watching that. You almost thought during the selection period that. Both teams, both Clemson, both Ohio State and LSU wanted to be number one because I don't think any of them really wanted to play Clemson in that first game. Oh, I agree. Even though they have a weaker schedule, maybe. I mean, look what they did last year. I mean, we, we just talked about that, Neil and I, earlier. And Clemson may have dominated a little more last year, but I think they're actually playing their best football probably right now. I mean, obviously, again, Virginia's not the greatest opponent in a championship game, but 63 points because they've always had the defense. And we saw what the the kid did last year, the golden boy with the golden locks, put it on Alabama last year. So I don't think anybody wants to play Clemson either, Uh, even though we we talked about it all year, how weak the ACC is. This team is just good. And you know what? Other than the fact that they had one little flaw against North Carolina, which they pulled it out, North Carolina goes for two and had a chance to win, Clemson overall has dominated their schedule again. Aaron, host any games that stick out to you? I know you'll be vacationing. I, I, do they have college football on ESPN in Peru? I mean, I can watch it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it on uh, ESPN platform. <laughs> I mean, I can find some can way find to stream it. it. Okay. Um, All right. Anything sticking out to you there? The names of the bowl games, for one. Oh, the <laughs> names of the bowl I games mean, are fun. Some of them are laughers. One of them I'm actually interested in with uh, the Washington's head coach getting fired. I'm actually looking towards the number 19 Boise State taking on Washington. Actually, that game has a very interesting storyline. He didn't get fired. He stepped down. Yes, yes, he he stepped down. Bad. But Chris Peterson built the Boise State program. Hmm. And this will be his final game at Washington. Kind of like Bobby Bowden playing yeah. his final game against WVU. Very interesting. I, I think Chris Peterson will be back into coaching. He's only 55 years old. Don't Never really said why he's stepping down. So that is an interesting storyline in that bowl game. Maybe it was one where you either stepped down it or might have fired. Been. It um, might have been. Another one, obviously, I want to see uh, my tagline the whole year is I've been hard on Michigan's head coach. If he doesn't win against a depleted Alabama team, yeah, it's going to look bad. Would he, this could he be ousted during the? I still think he's got he's got one more year. But if he doesn't beat Ohio State next year, it's trouble. I mean, if it's a decent sized loss to Alabama mm-hmm. in this bowl game, is mm-hmm. it something like you need to start looking? Guys, one that I see uh, a couple that I see. I'm I'm interested in a couple of the Big Twelve games. Notre Dame Iowa State is interesting to me. Navy and Kansas State very interesting out of the Big Twelve. Uh, the line on that Navy Kansas State game right now is straight up picket. So expecting a very close game. I think Iowa State can hang with Notre Dame. I think the Big Twelve has a very good bowl season. Even though they're a little light, they didn't fill two spots. They surprised us last year. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. no doubt. I was surprised as anybody how the Big 12 fared in bowl games last year. I don't think Oklahoma uh, can get it done. It's going to be a tall task. But you never know. Jalen Hurts, 
He's got experience. He, he's been in this situation he's before. He is. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll start our bull picks next week, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on The Blitz and the Sports Roundtable Podcast.